Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, everybody? Let's go ahead and jump into it. Give me the bridge now. Hey, what up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Ringside with Ray and Prince. We got a phenomenal guest. We got my man, Drew Greer, right here. What's up, CEO, Brand I Am, Chief Storyteller, Sneaker God, one of the originals that started in the game and changed how the things were, were happening. Uh, Drew, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My, my fellow <laughs> Bobcat brother, man. We, we <laughs> It's too many stories, Prince. I got a lot to jump into, man. I've done my research on this individual. He definitely changed the shoe game, man, and uh, impacted. I want to start off with, Drew, where are you from? And and what's your background, man? I'm going all the way in. Mom <laughs> from Compton. I mean, from Watts. Dad's from Compton. I was born in Jersey. Okay. I grew up in Linwood, which don't let Inglewood fool you. is the original wood. Mm. Um, and then I ended up moving out in the suburbs. So I kind of had this, this this combined life of, you know, city influence early on and then moving to suburbs. Yeah. We, we, we laugh at Little Wayne. Um, and those guys, when they start blending, you know, the cultures together, because we was doing that shit, you know, excuse me, doing that in the it's 80s. It's all right. I'm going to use my Queen's English. Doing that in the, in the 80s. But football was always my passion. My parents separated at five. My mother wanted me around male figures. I started off as a mascot. Five years old, I couldn't play. Imagine that, like just in the uniform. I was like six dreaming or seven dreaming that the, all the running backs would get hurt and the coach would have to put me in the game. And these are like 13 year olds, like water boy I, style. I didn't get it. Like, why am I in the uniform and can't play? But then my mother took me to sign up at eight years old and it, it changed my life, you know, as far as confidence, you know, overcoming fear, uncomfort zone. And then it served as a, as a, um, as a passport, so to speak. When I moved out to the suburbs, you know, I was one of the first brothers sort of out there, but the the athletic piece kind of served as a as a as a currency to kind of let me slide through the butter that most would 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 have challenges dealing with and being accepted by by, by the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, as I, I sort of stated, my undergraduate's environmental health. I was just trying to get a degree, <laughs> just trying to get out. So I was a health inspector for a second. And I realized pocket protectors and metal desks wasn't my thing. So I went back to grad school at the renowned uh, Ohio University Sports Administration Program. And that's what took me to Georgia Tech, your land internship. Realized I didn't want to work in college athletics. Jason LaBeach that, that, that played at Ohio U as well as Chris Mobley were there. Introduced me to the possibilities that you could work at a sneaker industry, work in the sneaker industry and the rest is, 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 is somewhat history. Man, so you, you talk about that. Like we, we all play ball, all as running backs starting out, and how it, it's transformational. Like it kind of helps you like to move, especially if you don't have a a, a, like a a full group that's around you, but you find right. your family, you find your friends and folks that are on the team, right? And so it helps you kind of move forward. So you became a, a standout from a mascot to a standout. The athlete right. to get a scholarship. So, what was that like when you knew 
I have an opportunity to go somewhere and play. And why the hell Ohio? Oh, well, first of all, it was just I like my crew in Linwood between the class of 84 and 85, our pop one organization, 17 of us got division one scholarships. I mean, that's how deep we were. In fact, I mean, we had a cat, Henry Thomas, who actually won the state in 100 and 200 in, in, in California. He was actually a tackle for us. That's how deep we were. To this day, we're still friends. We love the game. You know what I mean? It wasn't about. And our part one organization from a Linwood standpoint, we didn't have any of that daddy ball or crying because people didn't play. We just went out there and ball and got it. And there was no controversy as it relates to who was starting what. The players played, and it was a it was a collective thing, and you know it was a, it was was sort of a fraternity that sort of led on that we went on to feed high schools um, through 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 throughout. But my I was just driven from passion. I loved the game. I was five nine one eighty when I when I ended my career, so I was always undersized from high school and always the smallest black in the league. But you know. They look like Tarzan fall like Jane as far as I'm concerned. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like mean, you know, most like he's big. No, is he balanced? Is he explosive? Can he deal with this two-piece? You know, there's other things that factor in and also deal with life. You yeah. know what I mean? Being resourceful. You know, Cat can run 4-3, 4-2, but what you doing game day? You gonna hit that hole hard or you know, you you're gonna tippy toe. So from my career-wise, I eventually just transferred that into the corporate world. When I was in college, like, I was, a, I don't know if you know the story, Ray, but when I first got there, I hadn't declared my major, and I transferred from a JUCO. So I'm at a party, and this dude's like, yo, what college you in? I'm like, I go here like you do. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> to let you know where I came from. You know, I didn't, right. you know, I didn't want to present in front of class, but I ended up being one of the – I say boldly, one of the best storytellers in Nike's history. Um, mm. But that's all in taking the sports mentality and overcoming my deficiencies, 5'9", 180, you know, maybe 4, 5, 8 on a great day. But game day, I came, you know, I came to play. I can say I had 100 yards of scored against LSU at 5'9", 180. We got blasted, <laughs> but I can contest to that. Um, you got and, your numbers. You got your yeah, numbers. <laughs> and, overcome, and overcoming your fears. Yeah, but I got to yeah, tell you a story right. about LSU. Before we get into the story about LSU, I want to I wanna go back to how did you and Ray meet and then jump into the story about LSU? I was in grad school, and Ray doesn't even sort of notice, but from my perspective, his dad had such – influence on me and then um the commercials and seeing them there and that sort of deal but he was a part of the crew i was mentoring i had already separated we didn't get to exchange as much it was more and more after we sort of left just because i'm the grad school i was all mac like i'm letting them shine you know what i mean i ain't trying to be in the parties like this is their time i gotta let it go and go out we, we was a young we was a young wild boys we the yeah. young guns we was wild yeah so they were, you know, Gary Trent and that whole crew, like they, they were doing their thing. So we just knew each other. We have such a brotherhood at Ohio University that it's just a natural connection. Even if we didn't play together, the way our network and our Black Alumni Association, as well as our football team, even though we're divided in our two uh, fraternities somewhat, so to speak, within it, we had Young Guns, which is them, sort of the young, and then it was us sort of a, a core five. But there's still a collective cross-pollination of brotherhood that 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 that, that can't be beaten. It has nothing to do with wins. Like 
I wanted to play Pac-10 ball, didn't recruit at that level, even though I was at UCO All-American, set all the records in the whole nine. But if I, as I look at my brothers that went to Arizona and SC and all that, although the alumni base may be stronger from a job and, you know, positioning, but what we have, the soul we have from alumni and, and those that came before us and those coming after us, it's priceless. The other thing is our school was built in 1804. L.A., most of the California, West Coast, most of the schools are um, commuter schools, so you have the same feel. And then the last thing, next year marks 200 years of Black students being at OU. Mm. Uh, we had Black students at OU before there was an HBCUs. We wow. had the fourth graduate in the country. So we're, we have things to be proud about that sit outside of just athletics or being in you know, uh, the epicenter of, 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 of culture. Man. Now, I know we got to get back to the LSU story because I cut you off to ask you about how so you and Rainbow each other. We go there, you know, and it's not sold out this whole night. I'm going to kick off return. You go through the front locker, locker room, right? You go in, you get dressed. You... Dude, I go out to, you know, practice the kickoff returns. There's a cage with a live tiger. I'm like, yo, this is real. <laughs> This is like we need a bobcat outside our <laughs> like something like it, a real life. I don't think they have it anymore, but welcome to SEC football. That's a, a whole a whole different game. You got you go out there, you got a tiger. It, and us back then, OU, we wasn't good. Like we wasn't winning games. And so to be playing somewhere like LSU or some of the big old schools that we played, it's like, man, it, it was a whole other vibe to my, see that. My senior year. Because, and people don't realize the NIL and the debates that are going on from a revenue standpoint. Because first of all, I've written an article on it. I'll share it with you guys. When the amateurism started, coaches and players weren't supposed to get paid. So just sort of freeze there. But my point is in my senior year, they wanted to build a press box. So we played LSU, Vanderbilt, and um, Iowa State all in the same year. You know, you go on the Mac, you, you're going to be beat up by this. So, you know, you understand the dynamics within college athletics. I don't care what anybody says. Academically or athletically, it's all about money. Well, that that's that's a, that's a hard lesson to learn. And so yes. once you actually get out of school and you start going to a career, it's even more apparent that, that yeah, it, it's, it's about that old money dollar. And for you student athletes. Mm. I was two-time All-Mac Junior College All-America at 1,700 all-purpose yards, D1, and 1,800 purpose D yards. Our coaches got fired. I'm trying to work out after my season's over, and the new coach comes in and says, do you know what it is to be a non-entity? I don't want you guys in this weight room anymore. We're moving on. So realize that it will end, and planning is important. And that's why I think NIL has, has such an opportunity. But most people are just looking at the bag versus an opportunity to build your brand while you're still moving the crowd and set it up. If I were institutions, I'd be setting it up. Either we set you up to go to the league or you're going to get a great job. But just getting the bag, that's going to only correlate with you as an athlete versus you use seizing opportunity where eyes are on you. And if you want to be a barber, you want to be an announcer, whatever it is, those players that aren't stars can see that, as well as the players that are going to the league can reap their, their benefits. Chase Griffin from UCLA is the second or third string quarterback 
He was NIL Player of the Year two years in a row. How, Sway? How? <laughs> <laughs> but I just think NIL right now is twisted. It's just getting the bag, and they're putting, um, you know, icing over really addressing issues. This is an educational opportunity. To me, it's right. an opportunity to teach the athletes how to open their own lemonade stand. Everybody is a brand. Even the students should be doing this, but you know, definitely on. I had issues with uh, somebody in our career counseling issue at Ohio University because they said they didn't believe in LinkedIn. Mm. Like, how are you even teaching? Right, right. I mean, how are you even counseling kids? You're a career counselor doing placement, and you're talking about you don't have LinkedIn and you don't believe in it. But that's the transition that we're going in. I think a couple things. I got two bold statements. I think from what Coach's standpoint, if you just want to coach and not take on this NIL and branding, you're going to just be assistant. I think a head coach is going to have to become a CEO, da-da-da-da-da, and then going to the running back position. The running back position has become a sidekick. It is a sidekick now. Ooh. I think the future is all the skill position outside of quarterback is going to become positionless like in, in basketball. Yeah. And you're going to need to catch mm. and run, and it's going to be just a seamless deal. You're going to not know what to expect. And those athletes that have the ability to do both will, will, will be paid, you know, accordingly. That's the change wow. in the game. We, we talked about that, Prince, we, uh, about yeah. you know, the, the devaluation of the running back. That exactly. it's like if, if you can't catch, if you can't be a Marshall Falk, if you can't be like that kind of guy that can catch and run the ball and play both, yeah, then like, bro, that stuff that's over. You're gonna get used. I'm gonna use yeah. this situation. I know your body's gonna break down in two to three years. You're right. not getting a fat contract, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna <laughs> and I'm gonna gonna move on. I mean, even in the quarterback situation, you have to evaluate what happened with San Francisco. Right? Yeah, uh, oh, Lance, oh, right? you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> oh man. Oof. You know, I mean, let you know that the scouting situation is is a bit challenging. I have a friend that's a scout, and he tells me that one of the biggest problems is is they try to be the same. Instead of doing the work, they find out what each other are doing, and they report the same thing. Versus mm. really digging in and looking for 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 the gems. So, so you so you talk about that. So that that's why I want to transition into this because the game always changes, right? Always. And so when you came out, you got into the sneaker business. There were different ideations, like. You came you came into the game with Nike and, and, and no, no groups and the the game was was old school like it wasn't the converse thing. How did that change and how were you able to help move that whole ball forward within the sneaker? So game? it was it was performance based. When I when I when I took over Nike Sports it was about thirty million and it's like eight nine billion now. It's outrageous, but they're using the basic business model that I developed. But everything was about performance. Nike spent their time reinventing themselves every, you know, every 90 days to give justification to keep sort of buying things. But I think the keen insight or keen attributes that I had that allowed me to do, first, they've never had a brother in the role. So let's just sort of start there. Secondly, I'm the, I, I can boldly say this, I'm the first generation of hip hop. Mm. You combine that with being an authentic athlete, I can make the strategic decisions that, is in the best interest of the brand and the culture versus going over culture, like Reebok knocking off Gucci and doing the Jay-Z. I'd have never done that. First of all, Jay-Z is a brand, like I've, I've talked about this before, like you're the Gucci Gucci, not a knockoff. <laughs> right. You know, and then also on the Reebok side, why would you allow them to sort of do that? You know what I mean? So even though I'm the one that started 
the music collaborations that gave Jay-Z that opportunity. I did the Rockaway Air Force One. I did the Wu-Tang and a bunch of others and, 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 and got written up for it because Nike wasn't ready for it. And they wanted to control the request versus serve the culture. Mm. But I'm trying to still, still tell stories with product that's, you know, 15, 20 years old right. or even, you know, more recent in, in, in some of the, the, the other re-releases. So it was a challenge. I had to find a way to get after it, get, you know, blended into the culture. And now it's a, 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 a standard practice. But again, I think being a true athlete, being a true member of culture, and then I'll, again, this is always undervalued, having taste. Mm. I think a lot of designers have can, can can design technically. I'm not a designer. I'm a, a marketer, strategic storyteller, but they, they can design, but they have no taste. And mm. you got to have both together. I kind of guide it through that process. Earlier on, I also served as educating Nike because people weren't traveling like I was. So I would go on these these what we call market travel, these voyages and dig in the culture. Even though I'm a member of, of hip hop, I'm not from New York, Chicago, D.C., but I would spend my days in the market with, you know, with reps and accounts and talking business. But at night, I'm going in the belly. I'm trying to see what the culture, how they're really putting together. And if it's in in in, in DMV, the old U Street days, and, and those U Street days, you know, Atlanta, you know, one twelve, and you know, all, all of those those sort of sort of dynamics, you know, Chicago. But I came in humble, not knowing it all. You know what I mean? I think I might have been New York. I might have had a stronger just because where they are, where they were then. They don't have that same separation within the sneaker world because of the Internet and also because of music. Everything's not coming out of there anymore. The South and others have sort of sort of um, sort of taken over. So I want to want to go back to how did you get that job at Nike? Interesting. So, um, like I said, I was after I finished grad school. Thought I want to work in college athletics, interned at Georgia Tech after they had won the national championship around 93, uh, yeah. it was. And realized that even though I played, getting behind the business side of it, it didn't excite me from college athletics. It's kind of similar to government seniority, you know, that the, playing the whole, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I, it wasn't what I thought it, you know, would be or the insights yeah. I had because I played, which run, you know, I have nothing to get. <laughs> Have nothing to do with going back to me talking about my, my, my college days when I graduated. I put yeah. how many yards I rushed on my resume, like I was gonna be running up and down the hall. Like, I didn't know, you know what I mean? Like, that was my company. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got 1700 yards, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know, I was like, okay, that don't have what's that got to do with you, you know, sort of, sort of, um, sort of doing this. I lost my train of thought. What, what, what was the question again? No, how, how did you get hired? So, um, oh, so at Nike, um. So I, so I moved to Georgia, I mean, Atlanta, intern, realized that wasn't for me. My undergraduate environmental health. So I went back. I was a health inspector in Atlanta. That was kind of <laughs> kind of interesting and dope. Um, and I had two friends that were actually working at Nike, one in team sales and the other in, in, in marketing. So I start meeting um, some of their colleagues. They wanted me to get in. So they start coaching me. And then I, I got an interview for Econ position, which is Nike spelled bas backwards. And brand ambassadors in each market that go in and educate the sales associates on the, the products and the technology and who's wearing it and what, and, you know, why it's important, as well as write reports of what's going on in the market. I was living in Atlanta. I almost didn't take the job with Nike because I was having so much fun in Atlanta. It was like the Freaknik era. Like that, 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 it, time in the, that time in ATL was out of control. 
that everything was popping. ATL you could buy Grinch at McDonald's. Hot. I was like, what is this? <laughs> right. Like, it was just little things. You know what I mean? And then do you remember right back then when the um, the, uh, the the liquor laws, they could serve liquor all night? You'd leave the club and it'd be daylight out. Like, Oh, oh whole... man, man, man. We would be down in, in, in some of the clubs. It was one club across from, it was across from I can't remember the name, but yeah, but it was like late night joint, six o'clock in the morning. You come out there, you get blinded by the eyes. Everything was was fired. The hip hop was going crazy in Atlanta. You know, the Southern yeah. Cal- even the R&B, popping. Everything was popping. Dominique, like we can go on. Like it was you. Georgia Tech had just won a national championship. Georgia Tech just Kenny Anderson and them came. Like it was, it was, it was. When Atlanta Live came out, they was it was it was rocking. Right. So they were working for the, 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 the company and I got introduced in. And what's interesting, and this is why diversity is important. My first interview, I didn't do well. It was there locally in Atlanta. My former teammates on the other side, I'm kind of nervous. You know, it's like Nike. like what? But the, they saw something in me and pushed me forward and I killed it. And that's where you need that sort of push because that's what people aren't familiar with you culturally or any of those dynamics. They can't see into that. And I had people actually fight for me to, you know, to get in because there's hesitancy. One interview is hard to capture at all, particularly when you're not looking at your organization to realize there's there's gaps as it relates to your consumer <laughs> versus what's happening sort of sort of internally. And I struggled through with that. During, you know, getting hired, once I got in the company, it sort of continued today. There's an unequal balance mm. or no balance. Love, <laughs> no balance at all. Speaking of no, no balance, what, what, so now you're, you're at Nike. So it's, it's two things. One, how did you get into the role of storytelling and helping and, and, and that help in terms of selling shoes or getting, you know, the, the cultures to uh, buy into Oh, this shoe. And then two, when you said no balance, did you not have a balance whenever you traveled? Did Nike give you a card and could you just swipe and do whatever that you wanted to do? <laughs> the Eakin position, I don't know what the role is now, but then was the greatest training position because every week I was giving four to five clinics on the product. And if you know, you're in Southern California, you know the dynamics. You know, I'm in the IE, I'm in OC, I'm in Fox Hills. Like, so it played in the, again, all my track, born in Jersey, school in Ohio, like a little, like all these dynamic suburbs, hood. It allowed me to flow in all these settings, even in the extreme setting from a running standpoint. You go in these running specialty stores and that's all they sell. And, you know, I'm going in there presenting running. I don't run like they do in the dynamics, but I kept it real. Yo, I'm not here to play Jeopardy with you. You know more about running than I do, but I got insight for you that I can feed you, then you can sort of move on. So it does, because what you get in a lot of those situations, people are jealous that you have the role. So they want to prove that they know more than you and that I, I'm not getting into that. And then on the other side, from a from the hood, you know, from the brother's sort of standpoint, they weren't getting service. So I was like, <laughs> I was like the godfather of Harlem coming in because like, in fact, my first day, because. I worked out of my house and then I would go to malls and, you know, visit the retailers and do my reports and then, you know, sometimes schedule clinics. But my first day working, they were so shocked to see a brother at the Fox Hills Mall from Nike at the Fox Hills Mall Foot Locker that the manager carded me. 
Hold on, hold on, hold on. Fox Hills? That was that was the brother mall. I understand that, but they were so shocked to see a brother from Nike coming in there that they carded <laughs> me crazy. to make sure I worked there. I don't know if they thought I was from a competitor instilling intelligence, but I just found it funny. But I'll let you know kind of what I was dealing with, sort of entering in the in, into that setting. I, you know, you know, no victim, but definitely a lot of arrows. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And then what was the second question? The second question was, you said no balance. So whenever you would travel, did they give you a card so you can just swipe and do? Well, I was saying no do? balance as it relates to people of color within it. But yes, I definitely had an Amex. And I was different about it because I used to go on these markets and you know connect with friends or people that I met. And I couldn't pay them. But I took everybody out to dinner and I sent everybody shoes because I'm just not a culture vulture. Like Because I'm representing y'all. You know, I still got to take care of my people and do what I can and show effort. And I think the combination of me be, kind of being the first, you know, kind of to be in the market, represent Nike and people being able to and then me being genuine and not just trying to take um, afforded me to get access that 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 nobody ever had, which, you know, the combination of the early training and then me digging into, the, you know, into the trenches, you know, like hearing the stories. My first time in New York. Our entertainment marketing department uh, actually connected me with MC Search. We spent like five hours just talking sneakers in my hotel as I was trying to understand New York because it's different. L.A., we got our cars and rims. You know, we wear our sneakers, but, you know, it's not like it is in New York. And then we have gang challenges and, and, and other dynamics. You know, where New York, that's their currency. You know, that's it. They're on the train. They're it. You know, the school, the, the, the pressure that they had. And then the retailers were more aggressive there in that they had more mom and pop. So it's competitive and their competitiveness is having that that that, that one shoe or that one color or, or you know, that hookup during that era that, um, that, that the other competitors didn't have. Where on the West Coast, we we're basically fed from Foot Locker in the mall. So it was pretty, you know, or, or sporting goods. So it was pretty formulaic. Yeah, so you know, from from the East Coast, like your shoe wear was your identity, right? Like you from D, you from DC, you gonna be wearing Tim's or New Balance. You, you know, New York had to had you know the the Adidas, the Nikes, you know, the whole different right. vibe. So you could tell where somebody was from from the from the shoe game, right? But then the the industry started to change. So there's good, there's bad and ugly, and you see that you worked in, in multiple different organizations. So. Talk about the like you talk about the diversity and the need for there to be a representation in on all different phases. So tell me about uh, you know how you've seen the game change. What still needs to happen within the industry to give a fair shot to 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 the culture? So first of all, we're not victims, and this isn't to be done as it relates to simply. This is to make the industry better. I have a movement called the sneaker industry must die or personal movement. It's me, one man race, because most people are too um, uncomfortable based on the, the what, what comes out of being boisterous and, and trying to drive change. But the sneaker industry must die. And die stands for diversity, inclusion, and empowerment. Diversity is getting invited to the party. Like I got, you know, I got hired and people sort of pushed me on, even though I necessarily didn't interview the first time, but getting in the game. The second part is inclusiveness. Like, if I get invited to party, I want to dance. You know what I mean? Like, give me the, the, the ability to dance. And what I've changed, is I want to take it to the next. We want to be empowered. I want to be the party planner. I want to be able to build my team and my organization within the structure of the, the brand itself. And that isn't happening. You know, you, you typically either get Band-Aid positions, um, you know, 
15% of the population is people of color, but we are black and we influence over 50% of the industry just with Jordan and, and uh, hip hop. And you don't see that reflected in the boards and vendors and employees and senior positions. And then even put the responsibility on us, even within us, first of all, there's been a separation between my generation and the generation before me. Not dissing them, but they're a little bit more ham bony, you know what I mean? Kissing and smiling and chuckling, jiving. Well, we're from the hip hop era, and, and and we have something to say and, and boisterous. So you have that divide, and then just in general, you have people that are selfish or people that aren't from our community. All these dynamics make it so you know they almost put you in position. I got mine, so that's all I'm worried about. I remember a position working at at, at at Under Armour and a a sister of color asked another director why he was hiring so many black people. You could, you could challenge any other industry outside of music, I would say, which sits in a similar place with hip hop and sort of driving it there. But they don't want to empower us. And I can boldly say this, and the reason I am saying this is because I got track records. At the end of the day, I don't really talk this shit, but everything that's going on in the industry, I have something to do with. Jordan was not remixing until us. I did the first SB collaboration, even though it wasn't called, sort of called sort of SB then. The celebrity collabs with Kanye and the rest of it, that shit wouldn't have happened if we didn't do, you know, the Rockefeller, you know, the collabs we did, da 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 da. And I'm not here to take credit. I was just afforded the opportunity. You know, I'm an athlete, member of hip hop. Like, I didn't have any, my mother signed me up for football. Hip hop just came about, you know what I mean? I have friends throughout the country because I went to school um, in Ohio. I had a friend from New York that actually played on my JUCO team. So all these things afforded to put me in a situation to be a valuable team. Not give me a favor, but to build a business. And I took something that was 30 million, took it to 500. And now I don't study their books. It's probably nine, 10 billion. And it's the same basic strategy. So, and you know, what we talk about, I was just recently on, on Astro Chamber show and and I'm talking about it's almost like there needs to be some, some sneaker reparation. <laughs> oh. going on because companies do not want to value culture and understanding that. In a lot of ways, it's like we're 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 foreigners. We almost should be expats in, in those moving to Portland and all these dynamics. You know, not only do we have to roll within this environment, but then we have to roll within culture, but that affords them to be able to build a $9 billion empire because it wouldn't be authentic you know, if it wasn't. Adidas has not more recent, but they probably have just as deep or deeper archive than Nike, but they haven't been able to execute like like, like we were. They didn't even start kicking it up until, until we did. Mm. So one of my last questions is, you got the the Nikes of the world, the Adidas, the, you know, uh, the, the, the top tier, no shoe game. Why haven't we had a, a, a real a black company, a shoe company, really break through? From my standpoint, we lead with black owned. We need to make bulletproof denim. We need, you know, the, 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 we, we need to lead with the innovation that just happens to be black owned. Like the, you know, I loved all the urban brands. I know all those cats personally, but that wasn't the best damn denim in the business. Mm. That was just our first expression, if you get what I mean. <laughs> I'm yep, like, when yep. we first start getting utility jobs after we, you know, left the 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 this sort of indentured servant sort of deal, and we had benefits and we can go to Disneyland <laughs> for free. Ooh. That's that phase. 
Now we need to get a phase that we draw upon it. From a sports standpoint, I'm, I'm working on a concept, but it's going to be a slow build, you know, trying to get back in the rest of it. But I want to take the Pan-African stories from around the world led through sports. So I want to leave with running and use mm -hmm. Ethiopia's inspiration from a distance in Jamaica from a sprint. And then I want to go to Brazil with soccer. Then I want to go to Cuba with baseball and basketball and football, American football with the U.S. There's something there. Mm. Running yeah. right now is positioned very lily. Power bars and quirkiness. But we own every world record from the 100 meters to the marathon. Mm. There's mm. something that we can, can, can do there. But I'm, you know, as I continue to progress to this, I'm not looking to lead with that I'm a person of color. I'm dope. I was an accomplished athlete. I have taste. I understand brand building. I'm not about juice. You guys understand the concept of juice versus sauce? <laughs> like, go ahead. Give, 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 give me the answer. Give, give so, so, so juice is marketing. That's having a, a digital budget and you just overspend and you eat into your margin to be able to get exposure. That's, that, that, that's temporary. It, it comes and goes like, like, like juice, like simply lemonade. But sauce, it's sticky. You tell stories. It hits people's soul. And that's the difference that Nike does that the other brands, but they're still willing to do. They don't dig into that. They don't align with their consumer. They don't know their consumer. They got people working on consumers that they don't know and don't seek to study to be able to get after it. And I, I just think there's a wonderful opportunity there done right, but it's got to be balanced and it can't just be come by for me because I'm, I'm a brother. No, I make the, I make, I, I got a dope history. <laughs> I make dope product and I'm seeking to make athletes better. And I'm using the most inspirational stories, of, you know, you know, athletes around the world. And that's this Pan-African thing, you know, the West African thing. When outside learned that is East African is this distance, West African is the explosiveness. That's where they, you know, a lot of the slaves went. And that's what fed into soccer, baseball, and the rest of them. But it shows that we have fluidity. Whatever the culture there, the sport was, we jumped in and dominated because we wanted, again, that passport, that currency I had in high school to start getting accepted with, with, within those country cultures. And, and that came about. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna take our African brother Prince. We're gonna have to take a trip. That's what it sounds like. I'm, hey, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. In time, have, you, in time. have you ever been to Ghana? Have you ever been to Ghana? I That's... have not. I've been a lot of places. Yeah. But two places I have not been on the African continent, and I love me some jerk chicken. My brother, you, you need to. You I need have not to been. To, I have not been, and my son is half is half Jamaican. I still haven't been to, to, to the island to have a real uh, jerk with pimento weed buried in the yeah. ground. <laughs> oh, come on, man. It's time for you to go. Ray and I, we plan on going in 2024 to Ghana. I'm taking him because my father is from Ghana, Africa. So uh, you're going to be a part of that trip. I got to so introduce you to my homeboy, Kobe, that lives in Kobe with an I that lives in Amsterdam, um, he's Ghanaese, and he got me pretty hip. And there's a lot of Ghanaese in Amsterdam, so uh -huh. I was I was able to, you know, tap into some of their, 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 their culture and their soul food. <laughs> yeah, come on, man, it's time to go. It's time for all the Blacks to go, you know. You, you speak about it's understand. I, I think that's, like, two things I think is a problem with our community is, A, we don't have any real culture to link back into, you know what I mean? It's kind of an empty feeling. And then the other deal, and this deals with my story, deals with passion. 
when we came out of slavery and got factory jobs and eventually utility jobs, it's about providing. I now think that we need to have people doing what they love to do. I think the reason we have gang, not so much gang violence, but spousal abuse, kid abuse, road rage, is people aren't doing what they love to do. I want somebody that loves making burgers making my burger. Oh, I don't want to buy you, you get what I'm sort of saying. And I think we need to get away from, oh, that's good benefit. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not dissing you. Oh, good benefits. You can get your teeth clean versus when kids are young, realizing what you think they want to do and feeding and encouraging that versus telling them they can, they can never do that. We've had a black president, so everything is on the table now. I'm with you on that, man. The culture in America has definitely, uh, 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 euthanize, you know, just our our generation, our youth, our blacks, and so now it's time for everyone to go because it, here's the deal. Ray and I we've been speaking about this. If something happened in America where um, all, all of the cultures they needed to leave and go somewhere, mm -hmm. I don't think many black people have a home to go to, and right. and that's a problem. And that's where the the mental the mental aspect of it uh, uh, really disrupts. You know the, the way that we that we see ourselves and the way that we learn we, we we learn how to empower ourselves so i think it's very crucial that we all get a chance to get back to another continent to realize there's something that there's more outside america than what we've seen i mean what what, what I, I don't get people don't understand particularly people that are live outside of our race is not understanding you know they see the smoke and the crime and the drugs and because hurt people hurt people including themselves and what the source is, but again, not a victim, just stating facts. When you have no richness, you know, I look at the Italians, <laughs> look at the, they can go back to their homeland and, and have some association. I don't even know where to go. You know what I mean? To be able to tie into that. And I refuse for slavery to be my source of, 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 of inspiration or the things that are gonna move me up. I mean, that in itself sort of serves empty. You know, when, when the slavery piece and all this went on, that's what I was telling my Italian friend here in Youngstown is, you know, you guys could blend in. We couldn't really blend in. Couldn't really blend in. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Hey, this this sounds like we're going to have to have part two. We're going to have to have a panel. We're going to have to talk you, about you know this, it's man. Because we, 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 we were all the way, all way left on this one. Like, we, hey, we talk about hey, some culture hey. stuff that we really need to you deal with. You know how it is, right? We really need to deal with it, though. But right. hey, hey, let's 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 wrap this up. Drew, you gotta tell everybody where they, where can they find you, man? Um, my, my my home is LinkedIn. To me, Facebook and Instagram is like the club I go, but I leave early. <laughs> but LinkedIn <laughs> is where I really get get busy. Drew L. Greer, that's two E's, two R's, and a G by his God that not related to Pam or Rosie. Um yeah. Drew L. Greer on um Facebook. Um, and then Instagram, I'm the real Uncle Drew, all one word. Drew spelt with a three, not an E on, on, on IG. But I'm constantly dropping, you know, maybe I could control myself a little bit more, but I have opinion on a lot. Hey, and we will be promoting it. We go, we go send it out. We'll do the snippet, everything. We're going to have you all over the place, brother. <laughs> so we appreciate you being here. This was an exciting, intense. You know, what, a, what a great, inspiring conversation we had, man. I think the audience is going to love it. You both in L.A.? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in I'm in uh, SoCal and, and Prince is down down uh, a little bit further down, almost closer to Mexico. Yeah, oh, SD. Yeah, I'm in Don Diego, baby. You know what it is. It's up top, baby. It's up top. Yeah, it's up it. top. You know how to roll the Mars, though, huh? Rojo. Yeah, rojo. Rojo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, the running backs need to get together. It needs to be a running back. And, and that was that phony burrito they have down in um, San Diego with the French fries in it. With the French fries in it. The Cali yeah, burrito. Cali burrito. They call it Cali burrito man. with fries in it. Yeah, go to the taco, man. Get you, get, you, get you some real pollo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. It was an honor. It was an honor, Drew. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, when I come down, here. we definitely need to connect, have some FaceTime. Yeah. Ray, you know, we need to sort of connect on many levels as well. But uh, yes, thanks for having me. Keep going with the show. I think that's the wonderful thing I think about the internet that we don't have to rely on anybody. We can start creating these different outlets. You can find your lane to, to get inspiration and, and, and sort of keep going. Content is it. Keep 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 killing it and you know allowing people to tell their stories. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Hey everybody, thank you all for joining the best podcast with your man Ray and myself. Look, make sure that you catch us on the next podcast. As we always say, peace. Power. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.